We'll be reading in Genesis 47. You might want to put a marker there. We'll be looking at some other scripture as well. While you're finding Genesis 47, I want to share with you a list of office work rules that were issued in 1852. And these office work rules were found in the ruins of an old factory in Scotland. And here's what these rules entail, the regulations. All employees must abide by the following regulations. This firm has reduced the hours of work and the clerical staff will now only have to be present between the hours of 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. Daily prayers will be held each morning in the main office. The clerical staff will be present. Clothing must be of a sober nature. The clerical staff will not disport themselves in raiment of bright colors. A stove is provided for the benefit of the clerical staff. Coal and wood must be kept in the locker. It is recommended that each member of the clerical staff bring four pounds of coal each day during cold weather. No member of the clerical staff may leave the room without permission from Mr. Rogers. The calls of nature are permitted and clerical staff may use the garden below the second gate. This area must be kept in good order. No talking is allowed during business hours. The craving of tobacco, wines and spirits of human weakness and as such is forbidden to all members of the clerical staff. The last two are very interesting. Now that hours of business have been drastically reduced, the partaking of food is allowed between 1130 a.m. and noon, but work will not on any account cease. And last, the owners recognize the generosity of the new labor laws but will expect a great rise in output of work in compensation for these near utopian conditions. (laughs) And you thought you had it bad with your work, huh? I want to talk to you today about our work. I want to talk to you about your job. I want to talk to you today about what you do so much of the week. Chuck Swindoll, in his good book on the life of Joseph, said, It amazes me how little is said from pulpits, Or by Christian authors about our occupations. How little we hear about the importance of our working lives. Yet that is what consumes a major portion of our energy energy every week. And he's right. Think about the amount of hours that the average worker puts in in a week's time. Then take and think about how long that adds up over a month's time. Then think about how many hours are spent laboring and working during a year's time. And then think about how many hours are taken up with working during one person's lifetime. And I want to share with you this truth today, beloved. God is interested in your work. God is interested in your career. He's interested in what you're doing. And real quickly, before we dive into today's passage here in Genesis 47, a message we're entitling Joseph the Businessman, I want to do a real quick study on what the Bible says about work in general. I want you to catch two main truths here if you want to jot these down. Number one is this. Work is from God. Work is from God. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, I mean, God created us to work. God made us to work. Turn back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, we're reminded there that God himself is a worker. 
In Genesis chapter two, beginning at verse one, here's what the Bible says. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it, he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. God had been working to create and God had been working to make. And then he set an example. He didn't rest because he's tired. He's God. He never slumbers in her sleep, but he set an example there. He is a worker. And then we drop down to that same chapter. Beginning at verse eight, it says the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Now to the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15 says the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden to Eden. Watch this to dress it and to keep it. There we find God gave man his first job. It was to dress and keep the garden. And I want you to note this down, beloved. Don't close it up yet. We're going to look at the third chapter as well. I want you to note this, that he gave man this job before man fell into sin. I want you to understand that work was given before man ever sinned. Work is not a result of the curse or the fall of man. God put man in that garden to dress and keep it. Now go to the third chapter. We find the fall of man. We find what happens beginning at verse 17. Genesis 3, 17. And unto Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Listen, verse 19. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return into the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art into dust, thou shalt return. We see then that because of sin, because man disobeyed God, man's work became much more difficult. Sweat and laboring and, and the anguish that goes with it. But understand, originally, man was made, he was placed in a garden before he ever sinned to dress and keep that garden. And because of sin, uh, work was made much, much uh, harder. Listen to what the Lord says in Exodus chapter 20. Of course, in Exodus 20, we have the Ten Commandments. And in the midst of these, here's what it says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. No doubt about it this morning. Work is from God. And through work, we provide for ourselves. We provide for our families and we provide for other people. Let me give you some scriptures. You can jot the references down. Second Thessalonians 310. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he, how's it finish? Eat. If any will not work, neither should he eat. Ephesians 4.28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Proverbs 21, we're doing a study in Proverbs right now on Wednesday nights. Proverbs 21, 25 and 26. 
The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. He coveteth greedily all the day long. Listen, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. Work is from God. No doubt about it. But notice secondly this morning, work is for God. It's for God. A verse you often hear me talking about. First Corinthians ten thirty one. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, including work, do all to the glory of God. Colossians three twenty two and twenty three. Servants. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, your supervisors, your boss. In that day, their, their owners, if you will. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Listen, our work is for God. Listen, Christian. Our lives are not to be divided up into the sacred and the secular. We're not to be one kind of person on Sunday in church and another kind of person on Monday through Friday. As one old preacher put it, for a Christian, life is not divided into the secular and the sacred. To him, all ground is holy ground. Every bush is a burning bush and every place a temple of worship. Our work is for God. Our work is to advance the gospel. We as believers are to live for the Lord Jesus Christ in our areas of employment, in the marketplace. We're to be missionaries where we work. And likewise, through the wages that we earn, the salaries that we earn, we give tithes and offerings. We support other missionaries. We advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, an honest job is not wasted time. It may not be the job you want. It may not be the job you dreamed of. It may not be the job you studied for, but an honest job is not a waste of time. I want to encourage all of us today to bloom where you're planted. Joseph did. And I want to show you that here today. We're going to see how Joseph was a good example of a Christian worker. Now, we've seen Joseph in many different circumstances in this study. We've seen him in the high times and the low times. And today we visit Joseph on the job. We visit him working as the prime minister, if you will, the second in command in all the world, just under Pharaoh. So let's go back to Genesis 47. You have that now. Let's read today's passage, beginning in verse 13. Now, you remember, there's a famine going on. Joseph has been preparing. Verse 13. And there was no bread in all the land for the famine was very sore so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the corn which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when money fell in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in thy presence? For the money faileth. We don't have any more money. Verse 16. Joseph said, Give your cattle, and I will give you for your cattle if money fail. And they brought their cattle unto Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses and for the flocks and for the cattle of the herds and for the asses. And he fed them with bread for all their cattle for that year. When that year was ended, they came unto him a second year and said unto him, We will not hide it from my Lord. How that our money is spent, my Lord, also of our herds of cattle. There is not aught left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes? Both we and our land buy us and our land for bread. 
And we in our land will be servants unto Pharaoh and give us seed that we may live and not die and the land be not desolate. And Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For the Egyptians sold every man his field because the famine prevailed over them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he removed them to cities from one end of the borders of Egypt, even to the other end thereof. Verse 22. Only the land of the priests brought a body not for the priests had a portion assigned them of Pharaoh and did eat their portion, which Pharaoh gave them. Wherefore, they sold not their lands. Then Joseph said unto the people, behold, I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is seed for you, and ye shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the increase that ye shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh, and four parts shall be your own for seed of the field, and for your food, and for them of your households, and for food for your little ones. And they said, Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we'll be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt unto this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth part. Except the land of the priest only, which became not Pharaoh's. You know, we read that and it's not too terribly hard to understand, is it? Pretty straightforward for the most part. The people come to get food from Joseph. He sells them food. They run out of money. They exchange their cattle and their herds for food. He gives them food. Then they propose they give themselves and their lands for food, a voluntary servitude and a kind of tenant farming situation. And he does that. And it all ends with them praising Joseph. You saved their lives at a 20 percent tax. Pretty straightforward. You got that? Now, before we close up shop, go home. I know some of you are excited. You thought we were done. Let's spend a little more time learning what we can here from Joseph. I want to three things I want to share with you today. Joseph is a good example of a Christian employee, worker, first of all, because of his wisdom, his wisdom. And under that heading, three simple things. His wisdom is displayed, first of all, in his preparation. You've heard the old saying, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. Now, why do we remember Joseph? Why do we think about Joseph? Why have we studied Joseph? Yes, he knew God. Yes, he walked with God. Yes, he's recorded in Scripture. Yes, a huge chunk of Genesis is devoted to his life. But in reality, if Joseph had not prepared for the famine, what would have happened? Would we remember him? Would they have survived? His preparation. Joseph did not wait until the famine started. He prepared before the famine came. You go back and read in Genesis 40 when we study that passage. You know, Pharaoh had these dreams and Joseph, through the Lord's wisdom, interpreted these dreams and gave out a plan and said, find a man to go out and gather the food and store it in the cities and prepare for this. And Pharaoh said, can we find any man but this man? And Joseph was elevated in preparation and he wasted no time. He went about preparing and he thoroughly prepared wisdom of preparation. But also we find Joseph was filled with the wisdom of organization. You may not have called it as you think about this, but we know that Joseph was organized in his work. He had a plan and he worked his plan. He saved 20 percent of the crop during those abundant years. He stored in the cities, probably in central locations. He would have also made sure to secure that food lest people would burst in and steal it. He was organized. What he accomplished was no small feat. He saved all of them through his organization and preparation. But thirdly, beloved, under this heading of wisdom, is his administration. 
not just during the collection phase, but during the distribution phase. You go back to Genesis 41 real quickly, and I want you to read a couple of verses there. Genesis 41, verses 55 through 57. Here's what it said in verse 55 of Genesis 41. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy food because the famine was so sore in all the lands. He was wise in his distribution. That continued on throughout all these years during the famine. He was wise in preparing. He was wise in administering. And beloved, in the workplace, we need men and women who are filled with wisdom. We need Christians who display godly wisdom in carrying out their jobs. So thought about wisdom. I couldn't help but think of something I read recently. A young boy entered a barber shop. And the barber is there cutting the hair of a customer. He whispered, he said, listen, this kid is not so bright. Watch while I prove it to you. And the barber pulls out a dollar bill in one hand and he pulls out two quarters in the other and calls the boy over. And he says, hey, which one do you want, son? And the boy looks at it and takes the two quarters and leaves the dollar. And off he goes. And the barber says, what did I tell you? That kid never learns. The customer finished getting his hair cut. He left the barber shop. He saw that same young boy. He was coming out of the ice cream store. He was there licking his ice cream cone. He said, hey, son, come here. Let me ask you a question. He said, why did you take the quarters instead of the dollar bill? The boy takes a big lick off his ice cream cone and says, because the day I take the dollar, the game's over. <laughs> Wisdom. He's smarter than the barber. And the world will sometimes look at us as believers and think, man, y'all are just strange. You're not wise. Because you go to church, you give part of your money to the Lord. You don't run around. You don't cheat. You don't swear. You don't do these things. The world looks at us strangely sometimes, but we can be displaying godly wisdom and should. The second thing quickly this morning that Joseph is a good example of is integrity. Integrity. I want you to think about the opportunity that presented itself to Joseph. The people were hungry. They were desperate. And Joseph held the key to the cupboard. If he had wanted to take advantage of these people, if he wanted to rip them off, if he wanted to live a selfish, hedonistic lifestyle, if he wanted to be totally self-centered, he could have done it very easily and probably gotten away with it. But he doesn't. He lives honestly. He is a man of integrity. And I want to say today, we need more men and women who are like him today. People who are men and women of integrity. And of, and, and of all people, God's people should be men and women of integrity. Joseph was right in this area. A man of integrity. I like what Swindoll said. Joseph had to live with Joseph. Even more importantly, Joseph had to face his God. So the distribution was done decently in an order. All the money went into the proper account. There was no payola, no kickback. He never set up some kind of offshore account. There was no secret slush fund. Joseph operated in absolute integrity and in so doing guaranteed the survival of the Egyptians, the Canaanites, the Hebrews 
and other countries. But he reminds us, make no mistake, integrity is tough stuff. Integrity does not take the easy way, make the easy choices or choose the pleasures for a season path. Above all, integrity is what you are when there isn't anyone around to check up on you. It's best demonstrated when nobody's watching. And I want to say today, and I thank God for it. Joseph was a man of integrity. Let me ask you, friend, are you a man or woman of integrity? Are you a man or woman of integrity? Wisdom. Integrity and thirdly, this morning, kindness. I believe I see kindness in the way that Joseph treated these people. They come to him to buy food. He treated them fairly and sold it to them. I want to be real honest with you. Some would disagree with me on this point. In fact, some over the years have vilified Joseph and believe it or not, have painted him in the same light as Hitler and Stalin. In other words, they see and they say, Joseph is a tyrant here. He took their money. He took their cattle. He took their property. He took their their freedom. So let's deal with that for a moment. Let's answer those charges. Was Joseph a bully or was he a blessing? Several questions we need to address. First of all, why didn't Joseph just give the food away? Why didn't he just give the food away? Why did he sell it? Well, friend, let me be real honest. He knew what you and I know. To have just given away that food would have ruined those who received it. Imagine for a moment the people living off a handout for seven years. That would have become a mindset. That would have become a standard for them. It would have ruined them. But instead, they had to give. They had to give of their money. They had to give of their flocks. They had to give something in return in receiving this food. I couldn't help but think about what Adrian Rogers once said. He said, friend, listen, friends, you cannot legislate the poor into freedom by legislating the wealthy out of freedom. And what one person receives without working for, another person must work for without receiving. He said the government can't give to anybody anything that the government does not first take from somebody. And when half the people get the idea they don't have to work because the other half's going to take care of them. And when the other half get the idea it does no good to work because somebody's going to get it anyway, what I work for. That, dear friend, is the end of about any nation. And I heard that like fell off my seat. And I heard that in a sermon I was listening to. Wow, that's where we're living. That's where we live. We know better. Joseph knew better. Only those in Washington would learn that lesson. He knew it would ruin them. Secondly, why did he take their cattle, their flocks, their horses, their donkeys? Well, the first reason is they didn't have any more money. And the second reason is I think he did did them a favor in taking them in more ways than not. Number one, of course, they got food. But number two, if you can't feed your baby, you can't feed your children. You certainly can't feed your donkey. And I think it was a burden they were glad to get rid of. They didn't have food. They didn't have the means to feed these animals. They were glad to get rid of them and get food in exchange. But here's the big question. Why did he take their lands and their freedom? Go back and look at verse 18 and 19 again. When that year was ended... They came at him the second year and said to him, 
We will not hide it from my Lord, how that our money is spent. My Lord also hath our herds of cattle. There is not aught left in the sight of my Lord, but look, watch, our bodies and our flat and our lands. Wherefore, verse 19, shall we die before thine eyes, both we and our land? Watch this. Buy us and our land for bread. And we and our land will be servants of the Pharaoh and give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land be not desolate. I don't know if he called it or not, but I want you to notice this. This was their idea, not Joseph's. They came to Joseph themselves, presented themselves, said, we're not going to hide it from you. We don't have money. We don't have any more flocks. Here's the idea. Verse 19. Buy us and our land for bread. And we and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh and give us seed. They even had the self-respect to request seed so they could plant and reap a harvest later. It was a voluntary surrender of their freedom. It was a voluntary servitude. And we know, of course, that he taxed them then 20 percent. They were to keep four parts. They were to give uh, a Pharaoh. Notice there again, beginning at verse uh, 23. Joseph said to the people, behold, I have bought you this day in your land for Pharaoh. Here seed for you, sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the increase. He shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh and four parts shall be your own. Why? For seed of the field, for your food, for them of your households, and for food for your little ones. Twenty percent. And I understand as I studied, that was not an exorbitant amount in those days. In fact, that was a low amount. Twenty percent. Let's be honest about it. That's a good amount in our day. Twenty percent taxation. (laughs) And the main reason that I believe that Joseph is not a tyrant here is because of what the people said. Look at verse 25. And they said, thou hast saved our lives. This was not written to tear Joseph down. This was written to rejoice in his goodness and helping them and his godliness. He was not a bully here. He's a wonderful blessing. They recognized what he had done for them. And likewise, I want to point out one more thing here, beloved. And that is this. Joseph always pointed back. To the one who was above him. Humanly speaking, that was Pharaoh. Look at some verses. Look back at verse 14. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the corn which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Look at verse 23. Then Joseph said unto the people, Behold, I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Look at verse 25. And they said, Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. Verse 26. And Joseph made a law over the land of Egypt unto this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth part, except the land of the priest only which became not Pharaoh's. He was accountable to Pharaoh. He was not building up a following to himself. He was not enriching himself. He was serving his boss. Pharaoh, and ultimately we know that Joseph was serving God. Now, once again, beloved, this ancient, true biblical story hits us right where we live today in June of 2009. And there are so many takeaway stories here, so many takeaway truths, rather, that we can live out in our own lives. But I want to move for just a moment from looking at Joseph's job as prime minister to looking at your job 
whatever it is. It may be on the kitchen floor or in a busy shopping store or teaching nursing day by day till limb and brain almost give away. Yet if just there by Jesus thou art found, the place thou standest on is holy ground. Have you grasped that? Have you grasped that? Do you really understand today just how concerned God is with your work, your occupation? What kind of worker, beloved, are you? Is your work characterized by wisdom and integrity and kindness? Let's be honest about it. Are you a joy to work with? Are people glad when you're sick and stay at home? Be honest. Do you shine for the Lord Jesus? Do you realize you may be the only Bible some people ever read? You may be the only believer they ever know and talk to. God has placed you there and He wants to use you for His honor and His glory. And I want to say today, bloom where you're planted. I'm assuming the majority are thankful they have work. The times have changed. We used to bellyache about work, didn't we? Now we're glad we have it. And some who don't have it wish they had it. Beloved, it's more than just a paycheck. It's more than just benefits. God wants to use you in that place. Just like he used Joseph. It was January 1995. According to Gary Thomas in an article, J. Robert Ashcroft had fewer than 48 hours to live. But he was holding on to life. You know why he was holding on to life? He was hoping to see his son, John Ashcroft, sworn into the U.S. Senate the following day. Family and friends gathered in Washington for a small reception. And J. Robert Ashcroft, holding on to life, literally asked his son to play the piano while everyone sang the song, We Are Standing on Holy Ground. You know that song? We Are Standing on Holy Ground. After the song, the old man spoke some powerful words. Here's what he said. John, I want you to know that even Washington can be holy ground. Wherever you hear the voice of God, the ground is sanctified. It's a place where God can call you to the highest and best. Beloved, wherever we are in our vocation, if Jesus is the Lord of our lives, that place is a place of holy service for him. Whatsoever you do, do it as unto Him. Whether you're eating or drinking or working, do all to His honor and His glory. When you go to work tomorrow morning, believer, you take the Holy Spirit with you. In you. The Lord Jesus wants to use you. Do you realize how important your work is? And how God wants to even mold and shape you. And He wants you to be a person of wisdom, a person of integrity, a person of kindness, and a person who magnifies the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize that today? Let's pray. Father, realize right now we're standing on holy ground. We thank you for the example of Joseph and his work. We thank you for the privilege of work. 
And Lord, help us to realize that this is not just something we're required to do and must do just to receive the paycheck. Lord, this is an area of service for those of us who know you. First of all, I pray today, Father, if there's someone here who does not know you as Savior, they'll come to know you. For those of us who do, I pray that there may be some today gain a new outlook on their work life and they'll truly serve you in that place where you put them. In Jesus' name, amen.